The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. If you're reading in one of the Blue Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 1, and I imagine any other Bible you're using as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Before I pray... I want to set up the text and my aim and application. So bear with me. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to get to it. Imagine that it's graduation day, and you are a graduating college student, and you're looking forward to the next stage of your life with anticipation. And what you need is help. You need, you need a gift. You need wisdom. You need direction. And you need structure. You need a sense of meaning and purpose. You need, you need hope. But often, what a typical university commencement speaker gives is none of those things. But rather a promotion of the dominant values of our culture. Let me illustrate that for you. I found David Brooks' compilation of commencement speakers' messages helpful. Here's what he says. He says, now this isn't a quote yet. David Brooks calls (laughs) this replication of the culture's Values, not a gift, but a, quote, box of nothing. And so in this composite description of a commencement speaker's message, he writes of the emptiness of the core values of our culture that are promoted constantly in the voices of our culture. Here's what he writes. Now I'm quoting. 
referring to the graduates, he says, floating and plagued by uncertainty, the graduates want to know what specifically they should do with their lives. So we hand them the great empty box of freedom. The purpose of life is to be free. Freedom leads to happiness. We're not going to impose anything on you or tell you what to do. We give you your liberated self to explore. Enjoy your freedom. The students in the audience put down that empty box because they're drowning in freedom. What they're looking for is direction. What is freedom for? How do I know which path is my path? So we hand them another big box of nothing, the big box of possibility. Your future is limitless. You can do anything you set your mind to. But this mantra doesn't help them either. If you don't know what your life is for, how does it help to be told that your future is limitless? That just ups the pressure. So they put down that empty box. They're looking for a source of wisdom. Where can I find the answers to my big questions? So we hand them the empty box of authenticity. Look inside yourself. Find your true inner passion. You are amazing. Awake the giant within you. Live according to your own true way. You do you. This is useless too. The you we tell them to consult for life's answers is the very thing that hasn't yet formed. So they put down that empty box and ask, what can I devote myself to? What cause will inspire me and give meaning and direction to my life? And at this point, we hand them the emptiest box of all, the box of autonomy. You are your own, we tell them. It's up to you to define your own values. No one else can tell you what's right or wrong for you. Your truth is to be found in your own way, through your own story that you tell about yourself. Do what you love. You will notice that our answers take all the difficulties of living in your 20s and make them worse. The graduates are in limbo, and we give them uncertainty. They want to know why why they should do this as opposed to that. And we have nothing to say except figure it out yourself based on no criteria outside yourself. They are floundering in a formless desert. I found that very helpful as a description of the current headwinds of values blowing in our faces as Bible-believing, God-centered, Christ-exalting Christians. We begin this morning a short series of four sermons from the first three chapters of Genesis. And there, the scriptures teach four essential truths that we need to know and live according to. And the, the Bible doesn't start out by giving us a big box of nothing. Believing these four truths changes everything about your life, who you worship, and, and who, you, who you are, who you think you are. 
How you live, what job do you take, how you spend your money, who you marry, if you marry, how you treat people around you, whether there's good and bad, and what is good and bad, and, and what's your purpose, and what's your destiny, why are you here? It's all here in the first three chapters. So the next four Sundays, we'll preach on four foundational truths from Genesis that are in direct opposition to the prevailing winds of our culture. And together, actually, they, perform, or they form a, a brief outline of the gospel. Here are the four sermons. Today, let me, let me just list them first. Today, doctrine of God. Next week, doctrine of man, doctrine of humanity. The third one, doctrine of sin. And the fourth one, the gospel. I'll explain them a little better here now. Today, Genesis teaches us about God, that God is and that God has spoken. He is creator and he is sovereign Lord. And, and I was amazed at what I saw, and that's what the rest of the sermon is about. So I'm going to hold that thought for a second. Next week... Uh, my colleague, uh, Matt Moore, will be preaching on the doctrine of man, doctrine of humanity. Genesis teaches us about ourselves in relationship to God, that God created us in his image, male and female. He created us. There are tons of cult cultural implications on that. It's Ethnic Harmony Sunday. And then the following week, which will be Sanctity of Life Sunday, I'll preach again on the doctrine of sin. That we are sinners and we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and its ramifications with God and its ramifications in our world. And then the last Sunday of January, I've asked Ken Curry to preach about the promised seed of the woman, Christ, the gospel. So those four doctrines perform a, a beautiful, simple summary outline of the gospel. God is, and he created all things for his glory. He created human beings in his image, male and female, that we would live to his glory, but we've fallen short of the glory of God in our sin. But God has sent Christ to save us from our sins and reconcile us to himself. Four huge basic truths in the Bible. And I cannot help but read the newspaper and see over and over again that much of this disorder and disorientation in our world and in our country and in our city flows back to a denial or a direct attack on one or all of those four doctrines. So now, Father in heaven, help us as we, as we look at Genesis 1. This, <laughs> this beginning of your word is amazing because it tells us loud and clear. You tell us loud and clear that you are and have always been and that you've spoken and revealed yourself in creation and then ultimately in Christ Jesus to call us to yourself. So I pray that this being the final Sunday of prayer week when we 
want to ring the bell that we would be a people devoted to your word, that you would that you would blow us away with the reality that you have spoken and you have revealed yourself in creation, in Christ, and in your word in order that we might know you and love and enjoy you forever. (laughs) I I pray that as you answered my little prayer for one dollar with 100,000 times more grace than I asked, I pray you do the same now. In Jesus' name, amen. So now my aim from Genesis 1 is that you would be awestruck, that we would be awestruck and worship God for two things. I just, I studied this and I was just struck by these two things. God is. And God spoke. It's amazing. It's amazing. God is and God spoke. First in our text by speaking all of creation into existence to reveal himself, to reveal his glory. And then as we know, as the Bible continues speaking to Adam and Eve and the patriarchs and the prophets and culminating in speaking to us by his son, the word made flesh. And that we have God's word, which we're looking at in Genesis right now, in his inspired book, Bible. How do I say this? You got to read this book. God is communicating to you. I thought about when, 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 when my wife and I were between 19 and 21, I was on a traveling ministry team around the, the region, singing in different places. I was gone for a year. And she would write me letters. I still have some of these letters. She, would, she was a better letter writer than I was. Um, she would write me letters. And she, so she writes me this letter to communicate herself and her love to me. And what do I do? I just let it sit there, right? I just let it sit there for a week or a month or a year and neglect it. And just, no! <laughs> I rip it open and I open it up and I read it. She's speaking to me. She's revealing herself to me. It's part of my awe that God is before anything else. And he spoke to reveal himself. And oh, how I want us to hear and devote ourselves to hearing God speak to us through his word in this new year. So, Lord, grant a hundred thousand times more grace than I can ask or imagine in me and in you. In answer to that prayer. So my application is that you would give yourself anew to the word of God this year. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures anew. And I I hope, I mean, I expect many of you have already done so. You've got a plan. You're thinking about how to read the Bible this year. Maybe I threw the Bible or I I threw the New Testament plan. And if you need a plan and you don't have one, go to crossway.com or go to the Gospel Coalition. There's various plans. I use the McChain 
Bible reading plan. I've used it for a lot of years, four places in the Bible at a time, every day. This morning was interesting. The flood in which God judges the world and Jesus in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Very good to read in various places of the Bible to put it together and see the, the fuller teaching of the Bible. Anyway, there's a plug. I, you've got to have a plan, probably, or you will neglect your reading of the Bible. So, that's the application. Let's get to the text now. You know, God is and God speaks. That's the outline. God is and, and God speaks. You know, notice the first few words of Genesis 1, that God amazingly exists. In the beginning, God. Before all else, God. The creation has a beginning, but before that is God. God doesn't have a beginning. He just is. So from that, from this revelation in Genesis, I want to draw out what is this saying about God? And I'll pull in other scriptures as well. Number one, God is eternal. If you can do what you can't do, which is think back to the beginning of everything before the expansive immeasurable universe and all that there is, before there was a single atom and a single molecule or bacteria or anything that came to be, think back to them. God was there. God has been and ever will be. He has no beginning and he has no end. He forever is He's the ultimate reality. Hence, he communicates his name to Moses. Remember in Exodus 3, 14. I am that I am. That's my name. God is eternal. God is also triune. God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit in the Bible. And, and the threeness of God is alluded to here in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters in verse 2. And then there's another allusion in verse 26 when God says before he makes Man, human beings in his image, male and female. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Hear the plural? And God creates two people as his image bearers. Adam and Eve, male and female. And the gospel, as Anna uh, recited for us for memory, amazingly and wonderfully spells out the fact that the word that existed at the beginning with God through whom all things were created is God, took on flesh, the incarnation. This word is Jesus. Jesus Christ. The Trinity. God is triune. Right from the beginning and in creation, he's triune. The triune God created everything. 
the spirit hovering, the word going forth, and causing the creation to, to happen in the revelation of God's glory to be displayed. This also says that God is self-sufficient. He's forever been God from eternity past and will be forever. God is eternally and completely and happily self-sufficient as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't need anything or anyone else to be God, to be satisfied, or to be happy. His existence is not dependent on anyone or anything than himself. He's complete. Our, our affirmation of faith that we read says it this way. We believe that God is supremely joyful in the fellowship of the Trinity, each person beholding and expressing his eternal and unsurpassed delight in the all-satisfying perfections of the triune God. God is self-sufficient. He's happy in the Trinity before anything came to be. And it's right there that it just, it just impressed me. It struck me. It was awesome that God, who existed forever, eternal, triune, self-sufficient, doesn't need a thing, spoke. <laughs> he spoke. He doesn't need the universe of the galaxies of the planets or all its wonders or you and me. And yet he spoke. He spoke. He spoke the universe into existence to display his glory. He spoke people into, into existence to be his image bearers. He spoke. The word became flesh, the Lord Jesus, in order to save us from our sins. He spoke. He didn't have to. He spoke. In speaking here, God reveals himself in no less than these five ways. God is the almighty creator of all things. Almighty creator of all things. I mean, this is most all of the chapter one. Get the rhythm. <laughs> God said, let there be light. There was light. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let, the, let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Verse 9, and God said, let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let, there, let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And it was so. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 24, and God said, let 
the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 29. And it was so. (laughs) The pattern of God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God is the almighty creator of all things, having created everything that is out of nothing, but by the word of his power. Hebrews eleven three. The universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible but purely came to be because God said, and it was so. God is the almighty creator. I say almighty because who can talk like that? His word of decree goes forth and it happens. Also as creator, God is the giver and the sustainer of life. In creation, God reveals himself in this way as giver and sustainer of life. He he gives us life and breath and everything else. He's the the giver. Life is coming from him. And he's not not a deist. He, He doesn't just set up the world and walk away from it. But the Bible says that Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. And, and Matthew 5, 45 says, God is the one giving sun and rain every day, sustaining life on our planet. So the, other, the second thing I want to say is God is the giver and sustainer of life here. And as creator God, God is sovereign over creation. God made everything that there is, therefore everything that there is belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. I always have a pause in my gut when I hear Talk about who owns the land. You know, whose, whose land is it? And the pause I get in my gut is, the earth is the Lord's. Like we're always squatters or renters or <laughs> visitors or guests. It's always his. And in his sovereignty, he gives the land. Look, study the Old Testament. He gives the land to some and he takes the land from some, and he gives the land from some, and he... It's God's land. So like an argument isn't, it's mine. (laughs) It's mercy that we have a land to live in. 
God is sovereign over creation. I'm not done. As divine owner, he sovereignly works his will and purposes in creation. He does all that he pleases. Whatever he pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. It's Psalm 115.3 and Psalm 135.6. You know, God being sovereign over creation, I, I should say, this is a, this is a denial of pantheism well, God is in everything. God is not in everything. He's everywhere present by his spirit. He's, he's over all things. But God is not the pulpit. God made the pulpit. God is not the universe. God made the universe. And God is everywhere present in the universe. But we're not, we're not pantheists. Also, Genesis teaches that God alone is to be worshipped. He created all things for his glory. He alone is to be worshipped. God doesn't exist in competition with other gods like Greek mythology, the battles and stuff. No. God is God before creation He's the creator God and all the idols of this earth and of this world that have been wrongly crafted out of stuff that God has made and have been worshipped and treated as gods through the ages. Idols of wood or stone or money or, or even idols of other people or self. God exposes all such objects of worship as idols. He alone is God, and he created all those things, all that there is for his glory. And to deny that and worship someone or something else is the worship of a false God. Paul says, 1 Corinthians uh, 8, 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, all things from him, for whom we exist, all things existing for God's glory. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, all things having been made through Christ, and through whom we exist. God is to be worshipped. The creator God, the eternal God, is to be worshipped as God because he has created all things for his glory. The chorus in, in Revelation 4.11 links God's worthiness to be worshipped with the fact that he created all things. Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things 
and by your will they existed and were created. Now, I'm gonna close. We're gonna go to the communion table. And I realize none of you are graduating from college today. I think that's literally true. But we are starting a new year, and, and I'm your pastor. I'm not your commencement speaker. But I do have a gift to commend to you, and it's the Word of God. And it's not a box full of nothing, pop slogans to live by. It's the Word of God. God has communicated himself to you that you would know him through his word. You need to know God for who he is and who he has revealed himself to be in creation, through Christ, in the gospel. You need to live in light of the reality that God is and has spoken and take heed to what he has said. You need God-given Loving, wise commands, not boundless freedom. You need a God-given destiny, not endless possibilities. You need an all-satisfying purpose to live for far greater than yourself, not an obsession on self-absorbed authenticity. You need to submit yourself to the loving authority of God to receive his mercy for our rebellion and sin. You don't need unrestrained autonomy. You need the sustaining hope of the gospel of Christ which God has revealed to us in his word. So you know where we're going this month. We're in Genesis, four sermons from three chapters. Doctrine of God this week. Next week, Doctrine of Humanity. Matt Moore will be preaching. The following week, I'll be back preaching on the Doctrine of Sin. And then the last Sunday of January, Ken Curry will preach from Genesis 3, 14 and 15 on the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. So that's where we're going. Let me pray and then uh, we'll move to the table. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. It's amazing to me that you who have ever existed and will always exist, fully self-sufficient and satisfied and happy, chose to speak. Reveal yourself. Create the world and the universe. Create human beings. Send your son, the word made flesh, to gather us, to call us to yourself, to enjoy you in the fellowship of the Trinity, in love forever and ever and ever. It's simply amazing. I do pray that you would grant us a desire a deep desire in our hearts to feed on your word, to commune with you, to know you more today than we did yesterday, and on and on until glory. 
So meet us at the table now as we worship you through our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.